Hey there, everybody, and welcome to Game of Your Life, the podcast that celebrates all things nerdy, nostalgic, and most importantly, my favorite medium, video games. This week, we got our first return guest, Matt Downey, coming back to the podcast. Matt, how's it going? It's great, mate. It's great. Great to be back. Uh, I love the first podcast so much that it... I wanted to get back and uh, jump back into the uh, the follow-up. Yeah, it was great. Because so for those of you who haven't listened, maybe pause this one and go listen to, I think it was in the first 12 episodes or so. We did uh, Final Fantasy VII, which of course is a very popular game. This one we're going to be talking all about the remake. But I always do like to save the game itself for the later portion. So let's talk life a bit. What's, what's new with you? What's going on in your life? couple of things just getting back into comedy the gigs are starting to get back up comedy loft house is getting busy again mm-hmm. uh got two shows coming up next week uh followed up with another show the following week so yeah the comedy loft house is going well gigging i'm doing a bit more on my own as well venturing out out of uh, comedy loft house so yeah all good bro what's up with you anything new with you? yeah it's good man it's important to do that too because like i you'll you'll build your own sort of fan base and stuff but then everyone's sort of like just comes to like you as a person you know so it's yeah, it's like you'll never bomb once it's your crowd and they all love you but you gotta you gotta like forge your own path too which it sounds like you're doing yeah it's just getting that sort of you know finding my voice i find you know with, with a lot of like looking at past sort of like comedians they'll look up to you find that it, it takes a long long time to find like your voice and stuff like this here and you know i, I like want to be a bit more political and have to, to say some uh, some things probably a little bit you know, raising a bit of knowledge about back home and just sort of taking that angle and stuff like that. So it just takes a while for me to, to sort of find a voice to have. That it's not just all hack jokes and stuff like that. There, so. <laughs> yeah, I've yeah. heard I've heard it takes like minimum 10 years to find your voice. And it's, it's funny because when I started stand-up, it's like every pro drilled it into everyone's head. Like, you're not shit until you're 10 years in, you know? Yeah. So, so like... But then it's tough because you can agree to that when you start it. But then around year five, year six, you start being like, is this really going anywhere? Am I actually getting better at this? You know? <laughs> yeah. It, just whenever them vacant looks, you know, you look out into the crowd and you, you do something and it's just like, oh, shit. Maybe, maybe I don't have this time. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> so, man, have you still been gaming and all this? Or is, uh, is comedy coming back sort of taking up your gaming time? Uh, a little bit, yeah. I, I have noticed it a, a few times and stuff like this. Here, especially now we're coming into what I would call like the golden era of, uh, or the golden month of gaming. Uh, November coming up usually whenever the big the big headers come out. So yeah, it's always in preparation for Christmas. I give everyone enough time. You know, so I, I mean, I, what I do is I actually book like weeks holiday around like big releases and things like this. Uh, <laughs> So, but I just haven't, there hasn't really been anything this year that have been like, do you know what? Yeah, I'm just going to take a week off. That's my, ho- what are you doing for holiday? I'm, I'm doing this, this is because, you know, I did last year was like for final, for the remake. You know, I had a week off just to sort of. I was just going to ask you, when's the last time you had to book work off for a video game? Uh, it was for the remake actually, was, was last year. And, right, uh, that makes sense. And uh, unfortunately, I didn't really much have a much job to go back to after that. Uh, the kind of, <laughs> it was just kind of like, oh, well, the pandemic sort of probably kicked in now. Well, yeah, I imagine your job's looking at people like, who can we afford to get rid of? Well, this guy just took a week off to play Final Fantasy VII. So <laughs> yeah, it must not be that important. <laughs> so it was like, shit. I love doing that. I remember Fallout 4 was the last time where I specifically like had it pre-ordered, had work booked off for a week, and then it sort of disappointed. But it's tough not to because you set expectations so high for this game. You're like, 
literally my time is being quartered off to play this game, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's the, I mean, I, I do think that's probably one of the biggest things now as you get older is expectations because expectations really can kill a game. Mm. And it's it's like with anything, if you think like, oh, it's, this is going to be a nine, this is going to be amazing, and then you get it. And even though if it's just like an eight out of ten and it's a solid game, you you can't help but feel a little bit disappointed. Yeah, and it's and it's like every developer is always promising you the world. So it's like if you don't deliver, like Cyberpunk's a great example. Like, before anyone had even played that, the, the bar was set so high for what this game's meant to be that it's like, it would have been impossible for them to reach it. Yeah, it's, you know, like No Man's Sky, all these things that come out in the complete hype train that they are, they can never live up to it. And I think that's why I always love, like, Final Fantasy so much, because no matter how much hype I ever had for them, they always seemed to do something that, like, went beyond my expectations. Mm-hmm. And they've also got that mentality of, like, uh, more than most series, it really feels like a, well, fuck it, this is the game. Like, like it or don't like it, but that's Final Fantasy twelve. you know what I mean? Yeah, and, uh, you know, it's just, like, the absolute epicness of it. And, you know, and that's, I think a lot of people, or sorry, a lot of game developers, they look at that sort of mantra and be like, right, okay, like, we need to have this 50, 60 yards epic for you know to feel like something and i just end up feeling like a lot of them just do like copy and pasta mm-hmm. and they, they, they just it's like the same mission but let's do it five different ways and to me it, it they don't respect your time you know i'd rather have a game that's five hours and you do everything once and it's like this is the game and then if you really like it you go back and play it again i just sometimes whenever they just you know, it's just like, oh, put your postman pot hat on and go deliver this here, and then you get over to here, and then it's like, oh, <laughs> by the way, get get put here's another package. Go over to back where you just were, and you're just like, all right. So the gameplay right now is just expecting me to to go to A, go back to B, go back to A, and it, it's just not actually fun. You know, they've, they've, they've run an algorithm for a hype map, like, okay, that's the train created. Then we'll just plop down the same sort of like. Uh, factories or, or or places that you have to take over and we'll do that 80 times you know we used to have levels and I, and I really miss the absence of levels nowadays because it used to be really like self-contained like this little you know you'd stick oh, oh level six everything was contained within level six and you know you beat it it had a start middle and end and you know it was that sort of just right and nicely designed and curtailed sort of gameplay that I really enjoyed. I, I think the, the rise of like indie developers and shit has lent a lot more to that. Because mm-hmm. instead of some big... Because like, the, the problem is when the companies get so big, then you can't ignore the other games that are being made. And you need to like sort of build off the expectations that the public has already. But if you're just an indie developer, you're like a small group of people. You're like, hey, let's just make the best version of this game we want to make as possible. And we don't even we don't even have to charge full price. And it doesn't have to be the be-all and end-all. Let's just make, like, a fun game. Yeah, and I think that's, like, especially, as, like, from, from a developer's standpoint, I think, like, there, there's been a real lack of, of prideness. You know, it used to be, like, you know, like, Mortal Kombat was Ed Boom, it was his game, and, you know, Quake with John Carmack. It was, like, people weren't afraid to be, like, no, this is my game. I wanted to make a game, and this is it. And they were completely wildly different. And they sort of had their own flavor, whereas now it's just like, you know, you play a new first person shooter and it's like, oh, this is just Call of Duty with aliens or 
and it, it doesn't feel like you play a new game it just feels like a, a slight change of a game you've already played yeah and the other part is like it's sort of like well what have you done for me lately you know because like cj Pro- or cd project red put out the witcher series that everyone just fucking raves about and then like i said cyberpunk comes out later and it's sort of like the world turns on them in an instant it's only like you're only really as good as your last game you know what i mean yeah definitely you know it's that sort of like the hype train and i think there's too much emphasis on oh what's it gonna be like oh it's gonna be like the best game ever and i i just sort of there people aren't taking risks anymore to create these unique experiences where it's you know it's like oh it's just completely different you can't say it's like any other game Mm -hmm. and they just seem to sort of like everything is designed by committee and I think that it ends up, it just gets to this level of genericness because it's there isn't one person's vision of the way that they want it. They want to, like, try and please everybody. And then in turn... You please nobody. Yeah, this harmonic, or this sort of holistic, sort of harmonic, generic, you know, crap, really. It's like, for me, like, this straight away one is, like, Saints Row. The new Saints Row comes out. And it just, it just looks cookie cutter to me, you know what I mean? It's like... Well, that's the thing, man. It's like, like everyone likes vanilla ice cream, but it's no one's favorite flavor. And you can make a generic game that is like that. It's vanilla ice cream, you know? It's, it's got all the parts you like about GTA, and it's got all the parts you like about this. But then it doesn't have its own identity, and no one really singles that out as a good game. Like, you have to take risks to stand out. Yeah, it has to be something different. And I, I, I'm a complete advocate of like experiences and games and you know I, and i think the older i get the more like I, I just really appreciate just the little indie games like inside you know those little four or five hour games but it's just it's unique it interests and the whole way through it you play it and you're like oh that that was a fun experience it doesn't need to be 25 hours it doesn't need to be 15 hours it's mm-hmm. just you know the amount of games where i start and I just don't finish because I just don't think that it really appreciates your time that you're playing because you're just like, oh, well, I've done that like five times. I'm just going to do the same thing over and over again. It's rinse and repeat, fight a boss at the end, job's a good one. <laughs> yeah, well, it's an interesting, it's funny because like we didn't plan this conversation, but it's a fun episode to do it on because with the the games we're talking about today, it's almost like the opposite in that remakes are becoming more and more popular. Mm-hmm. Like, uh... Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic is coming out yeah. early November, uh, which I've never actually played, so I'm very pumped. I'm currently playing, like, the Mass Effect trilogy. Like, there's all these games that are just remakes, and they're not... It's very different from the game we'll talk about later, in that they're just actually, like, HD, the exact same thing. Maybe a few bugs sorted out. Yeah, I mean, it's like what I would call a faithful remake. Um, So you've got the games, like, the Dead Space, I'm, I'm pretty excited for, even though I played the original um and it, it tra- almost you know it's it's just an, an upgrade it's it's one of those where it's not like they're not completely redefining it they're just it's taking the same game and just sort of modernizing it which i i, I really appreciate you know we've got like you know age of empires 4 just coming out uh, next week and it's effectively just an hd version of of age of empires 2 and i'm all right with that the the only mm-hmm. problem with it is is whenever I think at the same time, they do need to push it forward a little bit as much as most people would say. Like, no, just give me a graphics update and I'd be happy. 
whenever you do get that, it actually it feels a bit flat, and I I think that you you do need to have that little thing more where it does push it forward a, a little bit more in in other areas rather than just graphics enough to sort of create that new interest of of how it changes. Yeah, like when I I did the Resident Evil one that I reviewed on the podcast. And from the videos I've seen online of the original on PlayStation, I'm like, this thing looks unplayably bad. Like, just everything about it just looks... Like, I wouldn't want to pick it up. It looks so shitty. It's weird. Did you not play the original uh, Resident Evil? I, I played Resident Evil 1, but it's the remake they did on the Nintendo Switch. Okay, so... And it's like you said, it's not. it wasn't just a graphical leap. Like, all the graphics are done better, but they, they changed a bunch of the mechanics in the game. Because with yeah. a lot of games, like, once you change the graphics, it fucks up a lot of how the game worked, too, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, that's, I mean, I, I, I mean it's, it's, for me, like, for Resident Evil 1, when I first played it, I was in love. I was just obsessed with it. I just loved the atmosphere of it, mm -hmm. and I loved the feeling. But it's sort of nostalgia or rose-tinted glasses, because you realize, it's like, you think, like, oh, I loved that game, I absolutely loved it. And then you go back and play it, and you're like... What are these tank controls? These are just awful. Yeah. Uh, but it was like the feeling. And I think that that's what I, what I liked was when I played Resident Evil, it was a different game than other shooters. And I think that's what happens is whenever you get to like Resident Evil 5 and Resident Evil sort of sorts its controls out enough that it turns away from what it was, which is a sort of like, you know, to me, the most enjoyable bit was just walking around these... Yeah, it's essentially a detective like survival game. Yeah, and that's the thing is, it's like a it's a side thing. It's not the, you know, the the main thing. Whereas just like you can see how we went through to like Resident Evil Five, where they made it more action orientated. And I think, and as much as the gameplay, in some ways, like it gets better, and in a lot of ways, it detracts because, for what they you know get with action they lose in sort of atmosphere mm -hmm. and it's like it, you're either what are you doing are you either walking around like trying to find stuff is that you spending more time doing that or are you spending more time actually shooting you know if it is more action oriented and the game is more shooting then you know that's fine but i just it's having the, the balance of the two um that i think is when it really strikes a chord yeah that's when you find the sweet spot it's like with the Mass Effect series I'm playing right now, like, the first one was heavily RPG-oriented, and it wasn't a very strong release, just based on the time it came out. And the third one, they went fully the other way. It's, like, all strongly shooter-acclimated. And they almost... I think they even removed the option of, like, certain sto storyline choices, if that's how you want to play. It's just with a more straightforward story, which I don't understand. And then the second one is just the sweet spot that manages to blend the RPG elements with the shooter elements, and it's, like easily everyone's favorite of the series I, I don't know how they wouldn't come to the conclusion that that's the way to do it yeah it's and that's the thing is it's it's this committee it's you might have one person in that room going nope number two is the best you like right yeah and, it, and then other people are going well i like one and well i like three and they're like right okay well we'll just make and then like and then some shareholders are like actually shooters are what's in right now so we need a new shooter and we're gonna make the most money if you turn this rpg into a shooter and they're like well i guess we got to make money and blah blah and again yeah. it goes back to what we said about the indie developers who don't really have to you know serve those masters well, hey, why don't we get into the game we came here to talk about? Because we yeah, got a lot to go through here. Matt Downey, this is, once again, the game of your life.
Final Fantasy VII Remake, an action RPG announced in 2015. Much of the original creators were brought back, including the original Japanese voice actors, while the English were recast. It was released for the PlayStation 4 April 2020, praised for the faithful stories and lore, while also getting praised for the updated battle system and incredible visuals. It became one of the fastest-selling PS4 games in history, selling over 3.5 million copies in just three days and over 5 million copies by day five. An enhanced version, FF7 Retrograde, was released June 10th, 2021. Um, so, man, Matt, I got to ask you. I know, like, I'm a Final Fantasy VII fan, but it was never the crown jewel of my childhood the way it was for a lot of other people, and I know it was for you. So, what was your feeling? What was the thought when you saw this game announced for the first time? Holy shit balls! <laughs> I was just like, because you're not so... a you're not a cynical guy either. When you hear something that sounds like something you like, I feel like you get into it. You don't think of the negatives right away. Um, and oof, to be honest, I mean, I have been called the Simon Kyle of the art world, even when we go to like art exhibitions. So I always <laughs> generally have like an opinion on a lot of things. Um. And I don't know, maybe it's just I have a little bit of a soft spot for games and I always like try and see the good side of it. But mm-hmm. like a lot of the times I'm like, oh, what are they doing that for? And a lot of new games specifically, but when it comes to like remakes or like, oh, it's just going to be like that, I am super pumped because it's just, it's like, I think that there was a golden era of gaming and in a lot of ways that, especially in the last 10 years, has, hasn't been great. I don't think there's been that many sort of innovations that it was i mean when you go through the 90s like when the first final fantasy 7 came out that month matter gear solid came out as well which was another instant classic of 1998 and it's like and in that month you also had like i think it was fight club and seven come out in the cinemas or sorry fight club came out Mm -hmm. and it was just like when you look at it for sort of classics you know, in the 90s, we were just spoiled. You know, it was just like... Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, to have the Nintendo 64 and the PlayStation, it, yeah. it is sort of like you're saying. Like, we were spoiled by all the shit we got. Like, And because even now, we have the PS5 and, like, the Xbox, whatever the fuck it's called now. But it doesn't feel the same. It's more expected. Like, when Nintendo and PlayStation were both firing on all cylinders, it was, like, an all-time high. Yeah, it was just... But just the differences between the, the, the games that they had because of the technical limitations was like, you know, when you're playing, you know, oh, you're, you're playing a Final Fantasy game, it's like, right, okay, and then you're playing, like, a croc, and it's it's very, very different. Whereas mm-hmm. now, they're all kind of built, like, oh, they're all built upon the Unreal Engine, and it kind of, they get very homogenous and very similar. Yeah, so that's a really then, good point. Even the... Even the, like, system-exclusive games, it's not like you haven't seen games like that before on other systems. Yeah, and that's why I was, you know, for me, it was, like, the expectation of this was, like, oh, Seven's coming back, like, you know, what's it going to be like? And So you'd say you had high expectations then? Yeah, I, I, I had very high expectations for it. Just, you know, it was Seven, it's my baby. It's like, you know. Because <laughs> for, me, for me, it was, like, uh, I, I'd played Dirge of Cerberus, I'd seen the anime movie, everything they seemed to churn out Final Fantasy VII related since the game itself didn't do much for me at all. So, I didn't know what to expect. I guess I had pretty tempered expectations. Yeah, it was, I mean, you know, you, you've got, like, the the Advent Children the film, I didn't really like that, and Dirge of Cerberus just wasn't the same, and, you know, you, you kind of, like, fed upon your good nature and each, each release that they did around it it didn't sort of like tempered a little bit but 
like I, just the music you just put the music on and my goosebump of the the hers in the back of my neck would stand up you know so i knew that they didn't need to do much you know they could literally put a menu system in with that music and a little the same sounds and i i would be in heaven already yeah totally let's get into it a bit with the story and the characters i mean we've obviously covered the actual story of this game front to back in the previous episode so I, I'll more want to focus on, like, the changes they made, what you thought about, like, the differences, and, like, what you were thinking as you were playing these. There's uh, there's quite a few changes. Um, more, it's just they're minor changes, but they have sort of major ramifications, like, later on in the next releases. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll, we'll start normal, like, because it starts completely normal, and I think this was done by design. Like, it wanted to remind you of the scene where the train shows up and Cloud flips off. And all of that was, like, frame for frame exactly the same. Yeah. Um, but but you get to see the characters for the first time, and you're with all of Avalanche. It's you, Tifa, Barrett, Wedge, Jesse, and... What's the last guy's name? Uh, Jags, or, well, Briggs, Jesse. Right, and Wedge, yeah, yeah. And right away, it's like... Right off the bat with these characters, I thought... Incredibly faithful to what you would have imagined. Because mm-hmm. it's a tough thing with these remakes, is like... We, we build so much of the characters in our heads and in our imaginations based on these, like, pixelated little guys from, like, 97. But now they've got the technology to have these full, fleshed-out characters with voice actors and stuff. It would have been really easy to, like, fuck up a detail or get the wrong voice in and make these, like, feel off, you know? Yeah, and I, I to be honest, I think they did an absolutely amazing job because the amount of lines that I read, because, you know, that that's what we don't really sort of people don't understand is like when you've got like just text on the screen and you read that voice that voice is perfect in your head it's like is it a gruffly voice is it a beautiful voice is it soft-spoken sultry and you've got this voice in your head for this character so now as soon as they start to speak it, it could be really disjointed of how it could be in your head but i think they absolutely nailed it there was no no one in that game where I played so far, and I was like, "Oh, what the he sounds strange," or how I would imagine. I was like, "That, yep, that's how I imagined he would have spoke." Yeah, and not not just their voices, but like their character traits. Like, like you have Barrett, who's still an extremist with a kind heart. You have Cloud, who's like doing the right thing, but sort of begrudgingly. Even like, it's funny because Wedge is voiced by that that junkie from Breaking Bad, a Badger. So I could only view him as that. Mm-hmm. But it was still like the perfect voice actor for this total side character. Yeah, and it's, it's a cre- that's what it creates that personality and that 3D depth, as you said, is like they're not just, you know, guy needs to see a princess from the other tower. It's like they've all got like, you know, sort of depth of their character. They've got conflict. They've got like, you know, they're not just, oh, I'm going to do it for this. But Barrett's like this big, muscular, you know, gun armed, you know, brute. But at the same time, you know, he's a father and, you know, he obviously has a lot of love for his daughter Marlene. And, you know, and it's like he only wants to sort of protect her and stuff like this here. So it's like that sort of conflict where he wants his daughter to come into like a nice world, but he's off bombing places. It's, you know. Yeah, I mean, he, he knows he needs to use violence to make the world he thinks his daughter deserves. So it's such a funny thing right off the bat. Yeah. And so you blow up the reactor like you normally do. And it's, yeah, when you get back to Avalanche is when you meet Marlene. And I don't know about you, but just seeing, like, seeing it voice acted and seeing the, these these scenes like movies, it does add, like, a whole new emotional level to it. Yeah, because it's, you're, not, you're, not, you're not just being, uh, like, a spectator or 
creating these situations in your head anymore. It's it's fully fleshed out in front of you. I will say that I was slightly disappointed when I met Marlene that we didn't get ride the um, pinball machine down to the Avalanche base. I was shocked that didn't happen. Yeah, it was, it was like one of the biggest things. I was like, well, it's coming up now. It's going to come up now. And then I was like, oh. The, the- yeah, because the whole thing is like, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but in the original game, they weren't like obviously Avalanche or they weren't like boasting around town about being Avalanche. Like it was pretty secretively done and they like, that's why they had like a secret hideout in their bar and shit like that. Yeah, it was, you know, they're, they're a terrorist organization. They're not just going around going, look, we're the, we're the IRA, you know, it was, <laughs> it, yeah, it was one of so. It was almost a disconnect to me in this version because it did feel like everyone who knew who they were and what their MO was. And later when people come looking for you, they know exactly where to go. Yeah, so there was that little bit of a, a discrepancy there in terms of like the secrecy around Avalanche and who these guys are. And it was kind of one of those where, yeah, the, the, they've slightly changed the secrecy of it for I think more of a, a plot um, so that more people can talk to them about what they're doing. Um, mm-hmm. I, whether or not it it added to it but yeah i just think that because they were expanding everything out um I, yeah they actually have missed that out i, I was i was a little bit that's probably one of one of my biggest disappointments and it's it's minor and that's why i, I sort of look at it and go well look if, I, if that's like my big gripe of it that they missed this little scene out then they're doing a good job yeah it wasn't it wasn't like game ruining or anything you also get to see sort of the whole part of the city they live in, and it really, like, I did, I missed it off the top, but there is, like, a video that just shows you Midgar from sort of, like, a aerial view, mm-hmm. and, and then, then it goes through the city and shows you the streets and stuff, and it really does, like, breathes new life into this city that hadn't been done before in any other game. Like, it looks incredible, it looks vast and big, and I, I always felt the original PlayStation game could never really nail the scope of... Especially like when the plate collapses, they never really nail how devastating that would be to a city like this. Like an, a whole eighth of the whole city was just destroyed in one fell swoop. Yeah, whenever the the uh, the the sector plate fell down, you know, dare I say the bad pun, but it had more weight to it this time. <laughs> um, and just yeah, just to see that sort of the the expression and and just sort of the whenever you know when you, it happened before, it's like oh well that's happened and oh poor us. But now it's like you're walking through it and you're seeing people like struggling by the side of the road and they're like, what happened to you? And you're like, oh, well, the plate kill- came down and killed my husband. And you're like, oh, shit. Like, well, uh, okay. Like, and then you just see the actual devastation from from people and stuff like that. There. And I think, it, you know, it, it had just so much more resonance now. Yeah, completely. I mean, we are jumping ahead a bit, but we'll get to the plate falling. Because to me, this was the a huge turning point in the game where... Like I said, in the original, it almost just felt like a storyline event to move you on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. And it was almost comical because you're you're in that park where you and Aerith have your heart to heart. And if the plate falls, there's literally just a wall, a solid wall of rubble that you can't get by. It almost looks like unrealistic. Yep. Whereas in this remake, it's like you see the full collapse, you see the extent of the damage. And then like you said, you see how the city reacts to it. Like... People are in panic, they're looking for their loved ones, and it isn't just this clean wall of destruction, it's like sprawled all over the place, like it actually would look, you know what I mean? Yeah, it it just had more ramifications, and you know, there was just more depth to the the devastation, it wasn't just like, oh, 
suddenly you just can't go to this area anymore and it was just like oh well they've just gated that place off now whereas now it's like they actually there's the, all the different people's you know what they say changes and things like this mm-hmm yeah, some other characters to get to here. Uh, Sephiroth, you actually see very early in the game, mm -hmm. but it's not totally clear if it's actually him or if it's like a vision in Cloud's head uh, from the get-go, you know? Well, I think they actually... Um, I think Sephiroth, in some ways, wasn't involved as much as he was in the original. Just, I think they've paced it slightly different of his introduction and, you know, what he's doing, you know, obviously... I don't want to jump on too much towards the end of the game, but, you know, you, you see him more than... Uh, how would I say it? It's like, I don't think you see him as much as you do in the original um, in the first half, but you see him more in the second half in this game. Um, mm -hmm. So it's like, it's just like a, a, a difference of a build-up. You know, it's just like, I remember there's, like in the original, you have this, like, flashback um, where it's like you and Sephiroth and you're, like, doing this, like, just a small battle. Um, and it, it's a little bit, you know, contrived, but it's it's there, which is not in the new one. Um, so they've sort of taken that experience out, but and you just sort of see him as a sort of fleeting, shadowy character up until towards the end of this game. Yeah, he's he's so not a focus early on, and it, whereas Shinra is even more of a focus, that it becomes like, like the main antagonist of this game is the Shinra Corporation, specifically the president and Hojo. Yep. Like, yeah, I wouldn't say Sephiroth's the main bad guy of the first remake part, you know what I mean? No, but it's a very interesting setup that they do and um, towards the end of how they use him as a, as a change, if you know what I mean. Yeah, totally. Well, we'll get there, but um, one other one I wanted to talk about was Aerith and how you're introduced to her. Uh, I don't remember if this scene was in the original. Do you meet her before the church, or like in town, like she gives you a flower, or was that just added for the remake? No, no, that that is in the original. Um, you see her and stuff like this here when you come out. Um, I think it's after after you do the first bombing, and you're getting away from like uh, after you do the first bombing, you meet like a flower girl, and it actually I think it it gives you like a couple of choices. You know, do you want to take the flower or things like this? And actually, depending on what choices you take, just when you first meet her, depends on how. I think it's like one of the one of the major ones for if you can get a date with her on at um, Gold Saucer. Oh wow, that's I love when they do shit like that. So yeah, so there's so much, um, there's so many like flags you have to like hit to get a date with Iris. And I think she's one of the hardest ones to actually have a date with Gold Saucer. And there's like so many you have to do. And, and I think, depending on when she offers you a flower to start, you have to say, yeah, like, oh, yeah, I'd love this flower. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, you got to simp for her a bit. Yeah, and so it, it was, that was just a very, very faithful re recreation of that there scene. It was, but even, because it was, when you first do it, she's just introduced as a flower girl. So when you first meet her, you kind of be like, unless you, you know, you've seen the trailer and stuff and be like, oh, that that's Iris. You would kind of just be like, oh, this is just another NPC to just offer mm -hmm. me a floor and you don't like know the gravit gravitas of, of what your decision is that you're making and i think that that's what i really liked about like the first one is how it introduces characters but it doesn't give them it's not like a like a like a circus entry it's like here it is here's your next major character it's they're just you just meet them and then it's like oh then they they fuck off for a few scenes like you <laughs> yeah and then it's like oh actually 
she might be a main character. You know what I mean? Oh, oh, I could actually control her. She could be in my team. Wow. You know. Yeah, it's more realistic. You know. Yeah, that arc. And 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 it's funny because she was like pretty flirty with Cloud in the first scene. You know. And it's something in this game where it's like all the female characters seem to be like very into Cloud, and I, I'm sure there was a bit of that in the original, but I definitely don't think there was like. Eventually, there's like this love triangle between Tifa and Jesse, mm-hmm. and it's like really odd. Like Jesse's being really forward with Cloud. She basically tells him to like come to her house. Yeah. yeah, yeah. A- after a mission, and then obviously shit goes sideways, and that never come ends up happening. You know, and it, but I I don't remember Cloud as like this beefcake that's like wooing all the women in the first game. Well, I mean, maybe I just spent too much time in Gold Saucer going on dates with them all, um, <laughs> but I I do I I kind of remember that like a lot of the like that love triangle was was a lot in the original um in terms of because you can you know you can do it out and you can get a date with uh, I think it's Tifa Eris and even Barrett. You know, if you if you play your cards right, I remember the Barrett one. I did that. Too, right? <laughs> yeah, and it, so I I I did kind of feel that there was this sort of like romance element was involved. I mean, I think it was a lot more arbitrary back then. Of oh well, you took the floor, you didn't take the floor. You you said oh you smell nice rather than not. Whereas in this one, it's not so much. You you can kind of like do it in a way where you end up with no one, in in a way where it's like oh who who do you like, and. Mm-hmm because they are voiced and all now, there's so much more weight to what they're saying because it's like they've got more emotion in their face and you can tell more by the tone of their voice of how they're saying something. Yeah, definitely. You're reading their body language even. Yeah, and so I've always, maybe it was just me putting myself into that character, but I was always like, I'm a ladies' man. I can have a bit of Tifa. I have a bit of Iris. Oh, Jesse. Oh, Jesse's the, oh, she's the wild one. I have a bit of wild Jesse. <laughs> yeah well anyway as the story moves along so you do become Aerith's bodyguard like normal mm-hmm. uh and it's one of the scenes like i was saying with marlene like just because of this medium you're able to emotionally connect more i really felt like bad for Aerith's mom who really just didn't want to lose her daughter but sort of knew the gravity of the situation too and she ba- she basically tells cloud to like fuck off in the middle of the night just to like not drag Aerith into your shit and I, I know that happens in the original too, but it's like, it really uh, impacted me more watching like an actual person, you know? Yeah, I'm <clears throat> sorry, just to see her reaction and how she is, it's, you, you get a lot more of like, she just wants to protect her daughter in this one. Um, because my main takeaway from the last time, and I was really interested to see the conversation this time, because in the first, in, in the original, um, she talks about like Eris's father or her husband, has come from the West and it I, I it was just something that always stuck to me because I found that Yuffie's dad, he he didn't grow up in that area that where they grew up. He came from the east. So it was sort of like a very mirror situation. And I always wondered, was like Yuffie's dad the same as like Eris's um stepmom's dad? Like, were they the same person? Because one had come from the East and one had, you know, come from the, the West. And it was like, you know, was there... Yeah, it feels it feels very specific to not be connected, you know? Yeah, and that's why I saw... I was trying to look to see through the dialogue. Was she going to talk about it or anything? But in this one, there was no ambiguity. There was no, like, oh, he's, he goes from the West or this is where he is. There was just really, really downplayed because, obviously, Iris's actual mum and dad is, is Hojo in Genova. Um, mm-hmm. and the ancients so 
I think that's one thing I'm, I'm like I'm super pumped for is to see what the um, Temple of the Ancients is like in the remake or in, in part two. Uh, yeah, me too, for sure. And I, th- um, I think, but yeah, I, I also thought like just Aerith's house, it, it all looked completely like it did in the original, but just obviously with shit like that, like flowers and whatnot, the PlayStation gets to flex a bit. Yeah. But but it, it looked great. Her the orphanage looked great. Like all that area, that part of town she lived in, all looked pretty cool. Yeah, I think the, the you know it just sort of reminds me of um, one of the Turks. Um, you know how the Turks have been completely fleshed out now, and how mm-hmm. they've they've got a whole new sort of how would you say like sort of sympathy you would have for them. You know it, they're not just these sort of like fuckboys as such as they were portrayed in the fir- in the first original one. But now they actually have, you know, a little bit more of a, a backstory and a reasoning behind what they do. That maybe they're not specifically just doing it because they're evil, and but more more so often that, like like a lot of us, we have to go to work. We have to like do a job that potentially we're doing something that we don't like, but we have to all go to work. And it was sort of like I really liked that sort of implication behind like the Turks this time that. They're not fully agreeing with uh, Rufus, he, um, the Shinder president and stuff like that. They're not just agreeing with him, but they're sort of like, well, okay, it's my job, I have to. Mm-hmm. And they'll always end up in your way anyway. Like, you, you fight them throughout the game. Yeah, and I, I, just having that, like, fleshed out and stuff like this here. And, yeah, just, to, you know, the fight just before you go to, to see... Um, the you know outside Eris's house and that little, little bullpen and just just hearing the dialogue as I go through I just all oh, the boss fights and stuff were were really great because they weren't just fights but they were also telling your story as you were doing the fights as well. Yeah, totally. Now you're totally right about that. Um, I found like this the main story in this is the strongest part of the game for sure. Mm-hmm. When you're going from scene to scene, uh, there's periods like after this one when it's you and Aerith just going to Wall Market, mm-hmm. where it just feels like long stretched out areas with nothing to do in them, or just it's almost like they're like we need to fill five hours here. So instead of just one small little area, we're gonna make this like a really long area. But it wasn't really a dungeon. It wasn't like you know the one I mean. It almost yeah. looks like a like a subway station that got shelled out, and then you're moving these robot arms to like. It felt so generic, like none of it felt like Midgar to me. It just felt like okay, we need an area here. Well, I mean, the thing it, it was very faithful because I remember going through that like that them scenes in in Sector Seven G, and it was like the very first point in the the original game where I actually started getting stuck and getting killed. Because I was like... A, oh, right. So I, I, yeah. I was a hopeless, like, 10-year-old who didn't know anything. So that <laughs> sort of area, like, sort of stuck on me, with me. Like, I actually know this is... I'm stuck in this area a little bit. I'm getting killed. <clears throat> Were there actual robot arms in the original, like, that you had to move, like this one? No, they, they've they've added that in, I believe. Um, That's not a bad touch. Um, And, it you know, it was just to give that a little bit more. I mean, a... I'm trying to remember, just, I just have got this one screen in my head, and you have to go through a lot of fights and stuff to get through. Um, but there was, th- that whole, like, scene w- was all there, and that's why I never felt like, oh, they've they've just added a little bit more, they've added a little puzzle element into it, they've added a little mini-game into it, and I was just like, oh, this is sound. Uh, yeah, I think my, my bigger complaint was just being bored through it. It felt like, it really just felt like we got to get from point A to point B, but we got to make that, like we got to fill that with gameplay essentially yeah i mean 
I always see. I always understand it as well. It's like the Zelda mentality of, you know, people. You know, in terms of like the lull in action, and how that actually you've got these gameplay beats, um, where it's like right, okay, you're 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 in a new area. You just have to fight a few people, get through this area, and get on to the next bit. And that was very much one of those where it was like new enemies, new new area. You just have to go through it like a journey and. I took it for what it is, and I, I really lo- enjoyed the combat, so for me... Yeah, I, I did too. So just even doing the combat sections of that, that's I just sort of seen that as a combat section. Used it for sort of getting a lot of special abilities for other weapons. And, you know, mm-hmm. I enjoyed it, but then again, I, I, I could enjoy just doing battle arenas in that game, so... <laughs> I, I Yeah, well, it, it spits you out on the other end, and that's essentially... This is where the game really picks up to me and really, like, or it hits this clip that it doesn't really back down from Mm -hmm. uh, when you get to the wall market. Yep. And it looks, it's the most incredible setting in the game you've seen so far. Mm -hmm. It's also extremely loyal to the original, but they've just, man, there's just so much to do here, too, between the mini games, the Coliseum, the actual side quests that aren't just, like, fetch quests. There's actual interesting shit to do. Yeah, I, I think that's, like... You know, one of the things I really enjoyed was just the difference of mini games in the area in terms of there's one of them I think you've got to go around with material for like the medic, and I just really like the fact that it, it uses your own stats. So it's like, oh, if you've got like a heal three, then you can do this. However, if you've mm-hmm. only leveled up and got a heal one, you can only do this. So <laughs> it was like I really enjoyed the that crossover with the fact that it, it's using your own stats. Because I think that yeah, totally that that disconnect between what you do in gameplay versus what you're doing running around, I always find it really strange in games, especially like you know, oh, this character's got a double jump ability, and then it goes to a, a cutscene, and you're like, why doesn't he just double jump? Why doesn't? Yeah, completely. I know, I totally agree with that. And then, and there's there's also smaller mini games like the the squatting one. Yeah. Uh, did you do that in the gym? Yeah. Well, you know, I I. Uh, I, I got all I did the optical and stuff like that because that that is very much um in the the original, um yeah I remember it's and and I I love that they brought it back but then also it's like I said with the Resident Evil thing earlier they not only like reference it and show it but then they update it to a modern like mini game and it's actually like really fun to play yeah and I, that's what I think is when you're you know that's why I'm so happy. Because they, they aren't just, it's not just, oh, we've got to put this in. And the, the, you know, it's like, well, how can we expand upon it? How can we improve upon it? And it's taking, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and taking something which is good and making it great. And you're like, hats off. Like, this is, this is brilliant. This is just what I want. It, I just felt like, in a lot of ways, I just want more. I just want more and more and more. And that's the thing is, even when I clocked the game at like 50, 60 hours, the one thing i could never shake was it was just felt like an extended demo and yeah i I do see what you mean there but sticking sticking with that theme of like taking the original and expanding upon it one thing that happens in this section that i totally didn't expect uh was that they still had cloud become a crossdresser to get (laughs) into the the honeybee in yeah, yeah, that I mean, and so iconic from the original, um, and it was such. Dude, but but if you were if you had been told ahead of time that like what do you think they're gonna do with this scene, I would have assumed 
they don't even try to like fuck around with cross-dressing or anything like any theme like that that might get them in trouble and maybe they'll just have them sneak in the back door but they completely stuck to their guns and pulled it off i think yeah they definitely did i mean that's the i mean you know the honeybee in it has a special place in my heart because it was just <laughs> oh it was just i mean at that age to, to be doing that and uh, be like oh, what is that and the I think the way you talk about the Honey Bean makes me happy. Yeah, it's just because it, whenever I first played it, it was such a for me just a revolution. It was probably the point of the game where I was just I was just absorbed. It was like I remember just getting to it just a couple of days after Christmas Day when I and I, once it got there, it was just it just immersed me because it was like you had this bustling time with like you want to go to the boxing gym you do a couple of squats you want to run around and there was just so much to find like down this little alleyway and oh just behind here there was this box and there was just so many people running around and it just blew my mind that there's like mm -hmm. oh there's like what 20 npcs in this area there's like what i can go into like 10 different buildings i can go into this area i can go into this area Oh, where, where do you go and then like the honeybee in and then it's like oh you've got to like dress up to get in and because i i actually find it quite hard in the original to figure out what i had to do there was that real sense of accomplishment to get in you know in my pumps and my nice fishnets and i was like yeah gee look in the bays hopefully he's gonna come and i'm gonna suck some dicks happy days <laughs> and it was just yeah. like you know that whole scene in the original like for me was just like wow uh, well, and I think I think they knew that because you get the scene with Don Corneo in this one, and maybe I I mean I know there was a lot of loyal stuff that maybe I missed because I haven't played the original for a while, but I know this scene like word for word was pretty much the exact same dialogue, where Corneo's trying to like keep secrets from you, and then Aerith, Tifa, and Cloud threaten to like cut his dick off and crush his dick. Yeah, and it, it's just. It, that's the thing is that's what i call like a narrative beat you know it's it's just so it's such a change up and and you know in terms of like it just keeps you guessing it's like you know oh you know it's like what other games it's like gta right we're going to go and take down the big dawn you know so you're working your way up through the organization but the, these sorts of things just completely throw you off into the like a different part and you're like what all of a sudden i'm dressed like a woman being a shag by this big bloke how did i get here and you, what did you think of uh don cornea when you first saw him um i actually i actually did a, thought they did a pretty good job in terms of of capturing that sort of cookie crazy sort of personality you know where he would be like you know he is a little bit like a clown he is a little bit of a caricature you know what i mean of like oh like, look at me i'm the big don and uh, well he's also like a sloth he's like he's like are you a futurama guy at yeah, all yeah i am yeah He's like that gold robot, the hedonist. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that's sort of Don Corneo. Like, he's a slime ball who's just protected by, like, it, t it takes, like, all this work to even see him in person. But at the end of the day, he's like a degenerate slime ball piece of shit. But at the same time, is, um, you don't hate him. He's not like, you know, he's not like, oh, I absolutely hate this character or anything. You still kind of. Well, for me, anyway, I, I still had a little, bit, a little bit of like for him and stuff, if you know what I mean. Well, he's funny. It's comic relief, and he's not... I mean, compared to what you've seen so far in this game and what you will see, he's really like an underling. He's like a henchman. Yeah, you know, but he, he's just a, a pawn. You know, very much a small pawn. And I think, in a lot of ways, that, you know, I, I, I sympathize with people like that there in terms of, 
you know, yeah, he, you know, it's like a lot of people who, you know, like parking attendants, you know what I mean? It's one of those <laughs> where it's like, yeah, you're, you're doing awful work there and you're being a bastard, but, you know, you're just a cog in the very big system and it's, don't hate the player, hate the game as such. And, you know, it, it, yeah, so Don Corny is essentially just a parking attendant trying <laughs> to get by when, yeah. when you think about it. <laughs> but it's, it's nice because the narrative stays the same here too in that he, re- he does that dickhead thing where he reveals the grand plan. And this is where you find out that Shinra's planning on destroying the plate. Which is funny. I guess you're, we're right in that he is a pawn in all this. But he is, like, aware of this super fucked up evil thing that's happening and doing nothing about it. So, like, he, like, he is a bad guy. Yeah, I mean... but I, it, it's, it's also out of self-preservation, though, to be fair. Yeah, I mean... Like, if, if, he'd, if he made a stink and decided not to go along with Shinra, they would definitely just have him replaced. Yeah, it would just be like, oh, right, yeah, get Don Corleone 2 in. Yeah. yeah, yeah, completely. Um, but yeah, so at that point you end up in the sewers here. I, I thought that was great too because it's just very loyal to the original game. Like you fall through the, the hole in the floor. Yeah, I mean an interesting part of it once you fall through the floor, and I missed it, is the pen, you know, because once you fall through the floor with uh, Tifa and Neris, so when you w- wake up, they're, them two are lying on the floor in front of you, equally spaced mm-hmm. apart. And depending upon who you go to, depends on who you actually get like a, a one-to-one later on i think in chapter 14 with so if you oh wow so if you go to tiffa first and ask are you okay then she's the one that'll give you like your little pep talk before you go into shinra building whereas if you go to iris at that point she's the one that will come and talk to you so, oh again i love things like that i would never have known so that's the thing and it, it's there's so many like little flags that it has that you don't even see, you know, you don't think you're making a conscious decision. You wake up and you've got two characters in front of you. Who do I speak to first? And and I think that's what is. There's a lot of beauty in that because it's like if it said if it popped up as a, a you know a, as a selection, who do you want to speak to, Iris or Tiffa? You'd kind of trigger and go, oh, actually, I'm being tested here. You know, I'll go to my favorite. Whereas if you just do something naturally. You know, it's a lot yeah, more exactly. organic. And that is, a, that is a Square Enix thing. They do that all the time of, like, you don't realize that you've just done a thing that has an implication later on. And you might not know until you, like, replay the game or, like, f- read about it online. Yeah, and it, that's the thing is it's, it's that organic um, choice making that actually, you know, has real ramifications. And we, you, it's only whenever you find out the actual ramifications of your choices later on, you're like, oh, shit. Does that mean if yeah. I did that, that would have happened? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Interesting. Um, so th- this eventually brings us to the scene that we were talking about earlier with the plate collapse. Is But first, it's it's that sort of boss, not boss fight, or I guess it is a boss fight, when you're climbing up the actual scaffolding to try to prevent the plate destruction. Mm-hmm. And it's a great scene, but it's also sort of fruitless, because like, anyone who's ever picked this game up knows that plate's coming down. So there's... There's nothing you're going to do at the top here to prevent this from happening. Yeah, and no matter how many times you try, there's certain things that I've tried in the game, like, oh, I must change this, I must, I must do this, and then you realize, oh, it's just a, it's a little bit of a, you know, a false endeavor, and you, you, will always, you will always kind of feel. Yeah, is this where you have a big boss battle with the Turks up here, right? Does that sort of go into what you were saying? With, well, with the Turks, how they're fleshed out a little bit more? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was just how that, you know, that, you can tell that there's more in talking between like the Turks and stuff like this here. And they're a little bit more fleshed out, you know, in the, in the original, they were kind of just sort of like, you know, typical henchmen one and two, 
and um, I think it was at Rojo, the captain, um, and it was like I forget their names, and um, you know, it's one of those where it's like there's the three of them, and they just sort of they just turn up as like the the Shinra special forces, if you know what I mean, now and again, but they were never really sort of they they never done anything against you know Shinra or anything like this. And okay, they were a bit independent. And they were slightly separate, but whereas in this one you actually fully see them disobeying orders and doing their own thing and what they think is right. So I felt like there was a massive change in sort of who they were as as characters in this. You know, even yeah, even down to like maybe like not like you know one of uh, is whenever one of them tries to like try and date Eris and stuff. I guess like oh come on, let's go on it. You know, and you're like this was they were, they were just always the enemy. Whereas in this one, it's like. Yeah, they're the enemy, but they could just as easily help you out in a scene as much as they'll try and kill you as well. Yeah, they're just looking out for number one, which is themselves. Yeah, and you can you can get behind that mentality a little bit more rather than these just mindless... You know, whenever I see, like, henchmen just running to their death for their boss, it's like, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe if there's a man behind them with a gun point at their head, you're like, okay. But whenever there isn't that sort of you know pressure that you kind of feel are a bit one-dimensional and they're not you know they're not as fleshed out whereas in this one they they kind of have their own their own reasoning their own um decisions for you know why they would make certain or do certain actions and stuff i guess yeah their own motives yeah yeah totally well um so the plate comes down like we said um it's a beautiful scene where you get off on the zip line essentially um and just as shit's like blowing out around you like it's a really really cool scene yeah, and we talked about that earlier. Everything's in chaos. The climbing the plate, I like way more in the remake than I do in the original. Because mm-hmm. in the original, it feels like it's almost unrealistic. You know what I mean? It's like you're climbing up, sort of like it's it's like this path inorganically just created for you. Yeah, it was just how in terms of like um, where we were up to, we were talking about the plate. The plate collapse. The plate collapse. It was just a, yeah. It was having that. You know, it was just such a different sort of um, feeling. You know, walking around after the plate had come down. You know, it was just everything felt different. You know, it felt like something had happened. And the actual like when you were just ascending, even though some of the sky boxes were a bit low res, I felt like the scale and you know the actual the CNI across the plate. You know, you really got that sense of like fucking hell, this is epic. Yeah, they do show their asses there a bit with the graphics. It does look sort of bad, but it, I also just like it makes sense that, like, Shinra robots are attacking you on the way up because it makes sense they wouldn't want anyone climbing up the plate and stuff like Like, narratively, this all made way more sense than, like, yeah. Cloud Cloud just single-handedly ascended this impossible-looking climb. And, and it brings you to Shinra Tower, and I, I gotta say, Shinra Tower, it's, like, probably my favorite part of this game. Mm-hmm. Like I loved, I loved Wall Market as far as opening it up and showing their full potential. But Shinra Tower like looked incredible. It was so loyal to the original one, and it really like it filled in a lot more lore than I thought maybe the original one did. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I I was actually I've sort of two feelings. I mean, I loved the Shinra building. I, I did love it, but I did feel at the same time there was a few things missing. Um, I mean, I just remember from my playthrough there was like. Um, certain mini games that you were doing that just weren't there, and I just, I, I, I felt like whenever you first went in in the original, 
was like you're in this like hustling bustling um like building there was people running around and you know you were just in like trying to like climb through the vent system and you know, I think one of them you came down in a meeting and you had like Rufus and Hojo and they're all around the table and you just sit and watch this like board meeting while you're in the vent system and I think yeah that's that that happens though right in the remake yeah but I feel like it it felt more empty just because mm. there isn't the bustle of people around when you're there it's like when you first come into the building the building's empty um th- yeah that's true i i liked that it was like open to public in the original when you first got there yeah it just i don't know i just felt that it was a bit more lived in it felt like it was a busier place felt like whereas this one felt like oh this is just 70 stories of emptiness if you know what i mean well and it is it is unrealistic it's like let's say you or i go to manchester and break into like a banking building that size yeah like there's going to be cops on the scene fucking immediately. There's going to be security guards walking around. Like, you wouldn't be able to just ascend through this thing with nobody noticing. Yeah, it was just... I, I just think that there was no... There was just not enough staff just, just casually walking around for, you know... For for an organization this size. I just I just didn't feel there was that sort of hustle and bustle. I just felt mm-hmm. like, you know, everything that you did was kind of like in the, the dark wings or something like this. And I mean, I, at the same time, I think there was a slight difference in time. I think it was more sort of set out that you were there during the night or, you know, in terms... Well, that's what I meant. Yeah, because it, it, it felt like a building that was closed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think that was the one thing I, I kind of missed out, you know, was, oh, well, there's, oh, well, there's this. And then there was just one, one mini game. I remember where there's like... Uh, you've got to like make up um it's like a like a train system uh, if i remember correctly and you've got to go and get all the pieces from the different rooms put them on the board as like this little puzzle um and to make like and then you end up you make like the midgar again as a, as a sort of like a puzzle and that wasn't there um and I, yeah i just i just felt, felt like the whole thing just felt a little bit too empty yeah well, hey, to counteract that point, though, because they, they kept giving cutscenes of uh, Heidegger and the Shinra president. Yeah, it was, yeah. Yeah, and I thought those characters, more than maybe even your your original party, they just fleshed them out so well. Like, I, And I, I know Rufus wasn't really like a focus in the original game. He was almost just like an evil suit mm-hmm. that gets stabbed. But in this one, it's like, oh, you get to see his methodology. You get to see how evil he is. Like, they're not only deciding to destroy this plate, but they're also going to blame it on a different country and fucking start a war. And I just thought the characterization of, especially Heidegger and especially Hojo, mm-hmm. was, like, very, very strong. They really fleshed them out into, like, these evil characters. Yeah, I, I thought they did an amazing job. And thought, you know, in that element here, which is where, the, you know, there was more realistic sort of reason and mora- or. Uh, motives for what they were doing you know the why they were doing certain things you know and little changes of narrative here well it's like it's like any good villain it, anyone can just be an evil person who does evil things for no reason that's easy to write but when you can like when the characters can justify their own evil fucked up actions it actually adds this level of depth yeah and so now you're like it, it almost is like an ideological battle between shinra who's tricked themselves into thinking they're helping the planet with mako and then barrett's opposite end of that which is like all they're doing is harvesting the planet's energy and we need to stop them at all costs and that's a great sort of uh lead into 
maybe my one of my favorite little cutscenes of this game is the Shinra tour that you go on. Mm-hmm. Oh, I loved it, loved it. And and it's something that wasn't in the original that was completely welcome. But basically, like to get into the Shinra's like the higher levels, you have to go through this mandatory tour that they put you through. Mm-hmm. And you get the full Shinra press release. It's essentially the propaganda <laughs> that they've sold the people on. But them being like, hey, look, the world would be fucked if we weren't harvesting this Mako <laughs> yeah. energy. Look at all this good shit we're doing with Mako, you know? Yeah, and there is a there is a little Easter egg in one of the pictures as well. Um, it's actually a callback to Final Fantasy X. Uh, oh, Chris Chris Jones mentioned this in the that episode I did. Yeah, because it's like uh, one of the guys on... With the mask, I believe it is that. Uh, yeah, he's dressed like an Albed. Yeah, he is. Yeah, so it's just that because he he helped found Shinra. I think his name was Shinra. Mm-hmm. Was that what? It... Yeah, man. Yeah, and it's just that. And that's what I mean. It's just that rich lore where it's there's just like you know, okay, there's everything on a face level, but if you look a bit deeper, there's just more information there, and you know that's that's what I mean. Is like having expectations for something. It's like yeah, I've got an expectation. But whenever they go beyond, it's like, wow, is that is that guy? Oh, is that that? And then you have all these triggers in your head of all these connections of like, oh, well, that just must mean after sin, after that, but he did that. And then, then they did this. Wow. Mind, yeah, completely, mind man. Yeah, I really, really love that tour. Yeah, me too, man. It was so cool. And it brings you to that next sort of area in Shinra. And this is where shit gets real. You start seeing, uh, you get to Hojo's lab where he does all of his experiments. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is right around when I, I forget if you meet Red Thirteen first or if you fight his like weird abomination monster. I think you just meet him first. Yeah, and Red Thirteen maybe might be my favorite character in the game just for how cool he looks and sounds and everything. Like they nailed what, what was my mind's version of him, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, Red Thirteen was one of my favorite characters, and you know, I'm, I'm. You know, if anyone's not paid the original, where you know there's a really important bit comes up probably in the next one where you go to his hometown, and I just love that place, Cosmo Canyon, and so I'm I'm super pumped for the next one because I know it's just it's it's very very close, and yeah, I thought they totally nailed the character who he was, the way he saunters about, his look and his face, you know everything about him. I you know just really hats off in terms of just nailing that same aesthetic. And just but taking it to the next level as well. Yeah, completely. And that sort of brings us to, I'd almost say, the climax of the game. And typically at this point, in the in the original, you're locked in a way in a prison cell. And you wake up and you see just carnage and blood everywhere. And like a, a literally like a path of blood leads you to the president's office where there's a sword jammed in his back. Uh, yeah. no, none of that happens in this game. They, I, I think that... I think they didn't better in the original. You know, that, that just was... Really? You know, yeah, I mean, when they, you wake up now, you're just in the... Um, I think it's Iris's room now in the, in the remake, and she talks about, like, oh, well, I've been here and such and such. But, man, when you wake up and there's just blood everywhere, like, wow. I, me- I remember, you know, I fr- to be honest, I forgot about it until you mentioned it, and I went, actually, that was... I remember just playing that as a kid, just being, like, in awe. Like, what I remember that fuck? whole yeah. scene... Just walking up, being like, "Oh, this is it." That, that, that's what made me feel like this is the end of Desk One. This is this is it. This is the pinnacle. This we've mm-hmm. we, we've all been building to this point, and no sword in the back of Rufus. Like, wow, what's going on? Like, you know, just like, just holy shit balls, level eleven. Like this. Well, this and is going- and this is the reason I said earlier that like 
the Shinra president and Shinra as a whole is the protag is the antagonist of this first remake game. Yep. Because uh, I do agree with you. I think the reveal like that is one of the strongest parts of the original. But I think the conversation you have with Rufus, where he sort of reveals his character and Barrett's mm-hmm. like beating the shit out of him, is one of the strongest parts of this game. Yeah, just to see that sort of difference of um, what they both believe is right. And, mm-hmm. You know, it, it's having that more of three-dimensional characters I thought was great. I mean, I, you know, I'm not going to lie. I actually thought that they were going... I mean, I was losing my shit because I thought they were going to kill Barrett. Oh, I, really? Yeah, I actually, I was like, what the fuck? What? What? Because I kind of heard rumors that they, were, they changed a few things. And I, I at that point, I was literally had my heart in my, my mouth going like, oh, my God, are they going to kill Barrett? Like, fuck off. Like, kill Harris, <laughs> kill, kill someone else, but not my Barrett. Like... Barrett's my boy, like big you bad know. Barrett, dude. Well, do you remember what happens here? Because I forget. Like Rufus does die. Um, is, in is the original, Sephiroth sa- no, in this one, in the remake. Um, doesn't he get chucked off the building? I I don't think he does. I think he gets stabbed again. I'm gonna do a quick Google. Yeah, I'm. I'm just. Uh, I'm pretty sure that like in this one, I think he gets like kicked off the building or off the roof, and um, mm. because you fight him. Oh wait, no. Rufus is the son. Oh yeah. So yeah, the the, the um the head of Shin. Oh fuck yeah, we've been calling him the wrong thing this whole time. Cause Rufus. Cause the president, the president isn't Rufus. The president is Rufus's dad. Is that what it is? I... President. Yeah. Sh- president Shinra. He well, he always dies, I believe. Yeah, that's what I was asking. So yeah, so President Shinra is killed by Sephiroth again, even in yep. the remake. It's just after he has this conversation. Yeah, yeah, because it's just as he, I believe, like, he just sort of kills him, and he's, like, he tries to, like, frame Cloud for it, I believe, and it, it just is sort of, like, the create sort of sympathy, I think, for Shin, or for Shinra, and it's just sort of, just upset, sort of avalanche and stuff in these guys. So, like, yeah, so the president dies, and before his body's even cold, Rufus's son shows up, and he's basically, like, I'm the new leader here, and he, he's even... He, he's sort of portrayed as more ruthless but less tactical than his dad, too. So it don't, it almost feels like, okay, you got rid of one monster and now you've got like a worse one sort of taking the reins. Yeah, because it's 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 interesting because I want to see, there's a point in the original where like where Rufus supposedly dies and you never see him again. Um, but I always felt like he put off a smoke bomb just before he... He did it so in the original cinematic there's like a smoke goes off before it happens and the smoke bomb was is a an item you use to get yourself out of battle and like take you back to mm-hmm. the, the closest point so i always kind of felt like in the original they kind of let a ambivalence the the rufus and stuff i guess so i'll be interested to see if they, they do the same thing next time yeah definitely and it all sort of leads to the same pinnacle that the the first disc led to and the original where you have the whole motor... You escape via van and motorcycle. And I love that they had the exact same vehicle, too, for this. Yeah, it was... Because that's the thing, is it was... You know, the whole... I mean, the whole first game was it was around that... It um, was designed to have, like, loss or feel of bereavement because the main game designer lost his mum. So the whole first, like, Midgar was actually created... So whenever you left it, you had this sense of loss because you could never go back to Midgar. Mm-hmm. So uh, now that they have just made it the like the first game, um, and it's like well, kind of like they kind of it's kind of 
nice because it's like in the second game you'll feel that like oh by the way you can't go back to Midgar or anything like this yeah totally well and that that is where the game would normally end here you would think and it's at the end of this highway after you lose all the Shinra guys you bump into Sephiroth and Sephiroth I, I my best interpretation of this is he brings you into a different reality or a different dimension but you sort of walk through this portal to chase after him yeah, my understanding is with with this was that he he's evolved. He's seen the other timelines. He's now he's seen what has happened before. So it's like he's like you in terms of oh, we're not just going to do the same beat that we did before because now I know what you know, which is how mm-hmm. this shoe turned out. And I thought it was such a smart twist. Because it's like, look, we're not just going to tell you the same game. We know what you know. And we're now going to, like, change this up. Because we know... Yeah, because one thing we never mentioned throughout this whole thing is there are these ghost entity things called the Whispers. And they keep showing up in inopportune times. And they're almost, like, designed to keep things on the same track. Or would you say no? Are they are they the ones? The opposite. That... They they're the th- they're the things which sort of trigger and show you this bit is different. This isn't how it was originally. Yeah, when the whispers whispers showing up is almost a sign that like something's going to change in the storyline. Yeah, and I... and you're like confronted by all of them when you go through this portal thing here at the end, as well as seeing a cutscene of Zach, the returning Zach. Who can you quickly explain who Zach what Zach's all about from the original? So, not to give too much away, but Zack um, was one main star of a game called Before Crisis. Um, and he's actually, you know, he's meant to be dead. Um, and he actually dies before the original. And he's actually like a close friend of Cloud's. And so, in some way, Cloud is actually a clone of Zack. Because mm-hmm. Zack was meant to be like, you know, this amazing fighter. So, the fact that he's now being seen to be alive kind of like shows you that th- it's not the same anymore because it's like you know imagine at the end of the titanic film you see the titanic boat you know sw- swimming you'll be like oh well that's different it's different from the original yeah completely. So you, know, you know you know that by showing that that if that's just one of the changes it's like like if you look at the butterfly effect well him being alive is going to have so many repercussions because the it, all, a lot of things change because he died, and now that he's alive, well, a lot of things can't happen now. So they're sort of saying to people, like, look, yeah, we've got a story for you new people, but if you already know the story, like, the back of your hand, we've got some really interesting stuff as well. Yeah, to so, me, it was almost like a direct message, like, because this game was pretty faithful storyline-wise from start yeah. to finish, other than, I'd say, the Sephiroth involvement and some minor things, but I'd say 90% the same. And yeah, it was to me this was a clear sign of like hey in the second game it is not going to be that we are taking a big leap into something different yeah i think that there's going to be you know as much as you're going to have probably the same locales you know you're still going to come out and go to calm next and then you're probably going to go to a wee foresty place and then go on a little journey and then you're probably still going to go to cosmo canyon after that but the the actual story narrative is probably going to change quite a lot yeah, it'll be interesting to see what new information you'll learn at Cosmo Canyon, because it feels like if anyone would know about alternate dimensions and theories like that, that'd be the place. Yeah, because it's like, you know, his, his dad and stuff like that there, you know, and it's, 
you know whose dad is i would spoiler alert there but um you know just in terms of like the introduction of the new characters i mean i've I, i've yet to play integrate um because i'm waiting for when they announce the new one i'm going to play integrate like about a month before just to like sort of pick myself back up so i'm ready for the the new one coming out yeah it's smart um, um so yeah that that pretty much brings us to the end of the story and the characters uh i want to rush through a bit of gameplay stuff here because mm -hmm. we we are over a bit but they, there's just so much that they changed up here with the gameplay itself we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about it Mm -hmm. um, you mentioned earlier the combat system was a ton of fun. I thought it was such a strength of the game. I mean, first things first, this is no longer a turn-based game. It's an action RPG, like I said off the top. And yeah, you can't you can still play it like a turn-based. You mm -hmm. still there is a, there is a setting for it if you if you want to slow it down and just turn it into a turn-based. You've got that as well. And you know, I, when I heard that, I'm like, oh, so it's still being faithful to the original. I was like, happy days. But do you know what? In actual application, I never did it, and I just stuck to the new version. Yeah, the new version well, it's is fun. So it's like actually fun to do. Uh, you have it where your trigger buttons are like your right and left trigger are the ones that you can use your character's magic or items and things like that. Um, and I just felt like it was a pretty simple system, but worked really well. Uh, you also had the stagger meter, where as you're beating the shit out of guys, their meters filling up more and more and more, and if they're weaker to stuff, it'll fill up quicker. And once you stagger them, it's just all shields are down. You can blitz them. Yeah, and then the, the one thing, the only thing I main takeaway for me with the gameplay is I'm just, I'm interested to see how they pick it up in game or in game two. Are you going to just have a, like a, a copy across to the next one? Mm -hmm. Because, I, you know, I, I kind of like, I'd be really disappointed if the next one came out and it wasn't just like a continuation on where I couldn't just sort of pick my characters up and take them on so that in, in, in essence... It's just like one big game rather than having to get back to like level zero again and, and do the beginning of a game again. I completely agree. I kind of understand how they would do it, which is everyone's level 50. And if you don't have a save from the, the previous one, they just give you a generic, you know, just generic settings, you're level 50 as well, but you don't have probably as many items or as much gill. Yeah, because uh, you're right. There are lots of details like the weapon leveling up in this game is done really intricately. Um, mm -hmm. so each time you get a new weapon, you can go to the menu and it's weird. So you go into like this galaxy version of like, it's almost like inside your sword or whatever, or whatever weapon. And there's different mm -hmm. upgrades you can choose from that feel like lo lighting up sort of nodes or things like that. And if you were to just lose all of that, it would feel like, well, what the fuck was that all for? Yeah. And that's the thing is it's, it's having that, you know, for me, it's like a part of a journey and it's like, your journey is is taking, and I know it's arbitrary, taking that, oh, doing one damage, oh, now I'm doing 10, oh, I'm doing 100, 1K damage, 10K damage, oh, 100K damage, and just seeing the numbers just ticking up and, and seeing that progression as you go along. And it's like, fuck, that's right. I remember doing, like, seven damage. Now I'm doing seven Yeah, damage. totally. Like, you can see see that progress, and, you know, it's like how many things that you're disposing. Yeah, you're right. And uh, Something else to get into here. I really want to go over the boss battles. Uh, to me, the biggest strength in the game is the boss battles. I thought, like, every single one of them had all the thought in the world put into it. Like, yeah, they were just really impressive. And then there was a couple surprise ones, like the, the Hell House that I didn't expect to see. The nice, yeah. nice little I mean, shout back. You know that's why I mean I I just enjoyed the actual combat system enough 
to go back into the battle arena after it completed and trying to do them on hard and stuff and just you know any that's i mean even i kind of in some ways kind of would have liked the hard setting to be unlocked from the get-go because i actually find the, the hard mode like a real challenge and i really enjoyed that sort of like trying to figure it out you know how to well especially in a linear game where the same thing happens it's like I beat this game and I enjoyed it. I thought it was sort of padded in areas, but overall a good experience. It's not one I would play again. Um, maybe years from now, if they put all of them in one big package game or something, I would. Yep. But like, I it, a, a new difficulty isn't enough for me to start this thing from scratch and play it no, all. I mean, I, I did it a few times just to you know. I just wanted to see the different types of uh, women's dress. Yeah, well, you're I a diehard. Different yeah. types of dresses, the different dialogue options so i went back and did a few chapters and yeah and i i actually really enjoyed it on the harder difficulty so much in fact i was like mm. and if i didn't have a job and you know have to do things i think i kind of would have went back and, and, and done it again you know Mm-hmm. well hey let's move on to the graphics and the sound here uh we covered a lot of it i mean the, the whole thing is beautiful the the way that they've changed the music, they're almost like more epic remixes of the original soundtrack. Yeah. And I, I felt like the game sort of called for it because a lot of these scenes, like, they are more epic just based on the visuals and the scale of all of it. The music sort of needed to match that too, I thought. Yeah, it was good. I thought the different weapons were cool and not only just that you could change your weapon, but that it actually changed the appearance on your character. I always liked that. Yeah. I had a question here. Would you have would you have changed outfits, or would you have done different attire, or do you think that's too far? It sort of makes them look too different. Um, I mean, if you want to put it in and you know change it up a little bit, I mean, I I, I love the iconic stuff. You know, is is Clyde the way he was and things like this here. You know, I I, I love seeing him like that. Um, and seeing the what well, did it did it hurt you to change his sword from the Buster sword it though? It did a little bit. I'm not gonna lie, it did a little bit because I just thought he looked so badass. And, and mm -hmm. to see the material, the actual material you use on the swords themselves, I just thought was a really nice touch. Really nice touch, yeah. All, all the stuff they do with materia is always very, like, looks very cool. Yeah, and that's the thing is it's, you know, it always comes back to collectibles and games. And it's like, you know, for me, I don't think there's any been any more exciting pickups for me in a game than material. Because it's like... You just go around a corner, you go into a box, and you're like, what's this I find? And it's like this glowing orb. And you're like, wow, what's mm -hmm. that? That looks cool. And then what is it? And it's like holy magic. And you're like, holy shit balls. And you're like, <laughs> your next thing, you're, you've got this like amazing, like amazingly powerful magic. And you're just like, oh, that's a game changer. Or a summon. I, w I had written here, I thought maybe the coolest looking summons in any Final Fantasy game ever. Like... And I mean, they've always done these long, obviously, drawn-out summon rituals, and they could never look as good on the p original PlayStation. But they fully put, like, everything into these summons in this game. They look incredible. Yeah, and I really love the fact that you had to beat them first, and, and they were actually, like, a challenge of their own bosses as such. Um, mm -hmm. And that's the thing. Yeah, it never makes, it never makes sense to me narrative-wise of, like, how come Urfit just decides to work with you for no reason? Like, what does what this demon got... It, at stake with you you know he's just like oh yeah he's a real g he's just gonna help me out when i don't need to fight him and stuff whereas like shiva and you know you all these and that's it gave me like that's what i mean it's like i love games that give you choice 
And it's like, it's not like you need to fight Leviathan or sorry, you need to fight Sh or Sh Shiva now and you need to get her now. It's like, well, look, you've unlocked Shiva. You need to go to the battle arena and beat her and you get her. But you don't need to do it. It's not, it's not like mandatory. It's just there is an option. So it, mm -hmm. it's like, and that's why I think it becomes so immersive in games when it gives you so many options to do things. You're like, oh, well... I'll do this and then I'll do that. I'll get I'll get my okay, I'll go and get a battle arena, I'll go and get the new summon, then I'll go and get a new weapon. Or no, actually I'd be better off getting a new weapon, then go and fighting the boss and you know, and it's just how you like you're sitting thinking about things. And I always say it's like a game is good whenever you're playing a game, when you're not playing a game. So if you're sitting there thinking, Oh well tonight when I get in, I'll do this and then I'll do that and or I'll go and do this. Yeah, you're strategizing. Yeah, you're just you know you're thinking about the game, and it's it becomes so much more than what you're just doing. Whereas when you're playing something just as simple as like a platformer game, it's like right, I need to get over there. I'll just jump, jump, jump. Yeah, got there. Well, yeah. Um. So we we talked about the graphics. Just overall look beautiful. But you did mention like, I noticed it most in the plate climbing. Mm -hmm. Just the terrible rendered backgrounds. Yeah, it was. What was going on with that? It felt like just a weird. It's like you guys put so much work into this thing. How did that get well, through? Well, I did a bit of reading on it, and I found out it was actually a bit of an error, um, and they shouldn't have been so low res, and it was just a, an oversight, which is why, um, if you played on the f uh, sorry on the PlayStation Five, they've all been fixed, all them resolutions been, you know, sorted out, and. Oh, that probably adds a lot of value because I bet it looked like it would have looked beautiful. Like yeah, and that's the thing is, I mean, I don't think it's going to look that much better on the PlayStation Five, um, but I think that they're just well, probably more for me, which is they're going to improve the worst bits of the air, air game. You know, where it's like, oh, well, that that looked a bit rubbish there, and that looked a bit rub that that won't be there. So the rest of the game will mm -hmm. continue to look as good as it does. They'll just sort of tighten up the the weak the weaker looking areas, so yeah, definitely. Yeah, man. Do you know what? I'm just I'm thinking about it now. I'm just so pumped for part two now. Yeah, man. Well, hey, let's bring it bring this one home with the legacy factor because I wanted to talk about that a bit. Um, my first question, though, overall, you 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 like this game? You'd say it's a good entry. Yeah, I mean, I um, it doesn't have the same place in my heart like the original does, but like. You know, it, as a yeah. game, you know, I know that my 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 tastes are different now. I'm in my 30s. But, you know, as a game go, I can't ask any more than a game was. I stuck that game on and I wanted to play it till I completed it. Yeah, I will say my biggest takeaway from this is that, I mean, looking at just the numbers, this game took me 50 to 60 hours. Uh, in the original game, you're done Shinra Tower at about 12 to 14 yeah. hours. So, if you're just looking at the base facts, they had to extend this first section, like, 40 hours. And a lot of it felt like filler to me. Mm -hmm. um, granted, you did bring up the point, like, a lot of it was remained loyal that I didn't really think of when I was criticizing. But it just felt like the side quests were so uninspired. Um, I, I don't know. It's like, the amount of content they packed into Wall Street, if they could have done that with the first third of the game, I think I would have thought of it a lot stronger. Because I put down this game for a bit. It, it really didn't capture me at first until around the Wall Street portion and mm -hmm. or Wall Market portion, sorry, is when it really became like a must-play, like I can't put this down anymore. Wow. And, See, I... and granted, it, to me, that it was still a very good game. It still, you know, pushed me to beat it. But 
It just, it was missing something in that first third. It felt a bit too empty to yeah. me. Yeah, I mean, I, I always say that in a lot of, like, especially like in Final Fantasy games, or any JRPG, or any RPGs, you you got to get over that hill of, like, the first, you know, sort of eight, ten hours of a game get past, you know, when you start, everything gets fleshed out and things like this, yeah. And, yeah, a lot of the time, for and sure. And if a game, if you're at that stage and you still don't feel it and you're still not hooked, then that's the game's fault, so... If you got to that point and you're still like, yeah, it's still not, then it must be doing something. I'm, I mean, I must have some rose tinted glasses on because as soon as I stuck it on, I was like, right, I am, I am playing this till death. Um, mm-hmm. Well, that's why it is the game of your life. But um, it is sort of like I, I, I do think I had a more just neutral look at it because I wasn't this huge FF7 guy. I liked it, but I didn't like. If this was a Chrono Trigger remake, I think I'd be where you yeah. are. Where I'm like, there's no wrong in the... I can't say anything negative, blah, blah. But, and like I said, it, it's my one criticism. It is a pretty big one, but it didn't take away from this being a good game. I would still recommend it to anyone. Yeah, I'd recommend it, but I would be also cautious because, I mean, I'm very much aware that I could never... I could never feel really satisfied of where I was at because I was always... I think at the back of my head was... I. I kind of always could never get to escape from the fact that it felt like an extended tech demo and I'm just trying to get maximizing my time with here. It's not like, you know, in certain games, like, oh, this game is so big, I need to just churn through the next few bits or I'll be here forever and a day. I never had that. I always, always had, like, right, okay, I'm going to try and turn this four hours into, like, six hours. I'm going to stretch this out as much as I possibly can. Yeah, and maybe that is because the whole game, you are leading to ends that you know are coming. So it really is like, like you know no matter what happens, this plate's falling, for instance. Yeah, and it... So, so all the time you get before that, it's like, this is really just finite until we get to the point where the plate drops. Yeah, pretty much so. And it was just, you're just doing the same thing over, and, and it's like, yeah, I know where I'm going to be at, I know where I'm going to get to, I, I, I don't, it's not like, all oh, this adventure that I'm going to go on. And I think that's mm-hmm. one thing was always had tempered expectations because I knew I wasn't going to go off in this like epic journey because I knew pretty much where it's going to end. Yeah, man. Imagine this game came out in five years from now and it's like the game cost 200 pounds, but it's the entire Final Fantasy seven. And it's like the game is like 300 hours. Oh, I, I would have bought it twice. I would have bought it like. <laughs> yeah, and and we were talking about the second one I, my excitement's pretty high for it too just to see how they diverge what do you think it looks like what, what do you think this i mean we know what the start point's going to be but how far how long do you think it'll go i mean i actually think the second one's going to be a, a massive improvement because they've got all the tools they've set everything up you know the character animations the models the, the voices you know it, it's one of those where i i you know going back to sort of more older um gameplay models the first game gets all the basics right gets you a good start and you're like that but it's the second one where it really fleshes everything out because it's got the base there and you know you're able to spend so much more time actually just creating content rather than just the setup as such so yeah so i'm hoping that they you know if everything was like three in this one you've got like three magics I'm hoping in the next one you've got like nine. You know, I think it's it's got to be almost like cubed, if you know what I mean. Everything has to be like get get a whole new level of depth that you're not just on fire one, two, and three, but you've got 
all of them, if you know what I mean, out there. It's like you've got three different types of flame. You've got that have different things. And you've really... Yeah, and I, I don't necessarily need open world, but I want, like, giant worlds. I want giant areas. Like, if I'm on the open field, I don't want to be able to see both ends of it from where I'm standing, you know? Yeah, I, I don't... You know, for me, I don't... Open worlds don't really excite me that much because, you know, I, I've had my fill as such. And in terms mm -hmm. of, like... But, but that's what I'm saying, too, is, like, I don't need an open world. I need... The same way that Midgar felt ten times bigger than the original... Mm -hmm. I need I need everything in this to feel ten times bigger than the original. So it doesn't need to be an open world, but it needs to be big. There needs to be shit to do. It needs to be packed with content. Yeah, and that's it. It's it's gotta be like every every point you've gotta do. There's gotta be like holy shit. How am I gonna have time to do all of this? You've you know it's like we've got an expression. I'd rather be overwhelmed and confused for fifteen minutes than bored for five. And it's like. Yeah, totally agreed just, with that. Just give me so much that I'm like, oh, what do you do? Oh, can I do this? Oh, I've got to do this. And there's just there's just so much there for you to do rather than, oh, oh what's next? Is that it? You know? Yeah. Man, that's and that's a good question. That's a good place to end this off in. What's, what's next? Is that it? I guess we will find out when this game comes out. Yeah. Um, so excited. And man. Yeah, this one went long, but it was going to go long. We're talking about the Final Fantasy VII Remake. Matt, before we get out of here, did anything you want to plug before we wrap it up? No, just uh, if you if you want to see some more uh, shoes in the Comedy Loft House, give us a wee like on uh, Facebook. We've got some shoes coming up. Uh, we're potentially get a Christmas special out as well. And uh, yeah, just uh, give us a like on there. I'd be much appreciated. Hell yeah. And as always, I'm Jordan Ducharme at FunnyJordanD on social media. Also at GOILpod on Twitter. Give us a follow. Give us a like. Tell a friend. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.